0: the difference between falling and failing. You know how we always say that um, this guy fell from grace? And we've always linked a fall from grace to a sin. But scripture has never linked a fall from grace to a sin. Never. In fact, the only time the phrase is used is when men denied grace itself. Then they are said to have fallen from grace. In other words, they have not that grace has has abdicated them, but they have, as it were, discharged themselves from the covering of grace. Does that make sense? Because grace is always... Available Romans 5 makes it clear towards the end that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I've always said over and over that there is always more grace than sin. Sin will never outdo grace. Ever. There is always more grace. What's happening? Than sin. Stick down again a little bit. A little bit. Ever. So, a man that fell into a, a, a sin or an indiscretion cannot be said to have fallen from grace. And that is akin to somebody suggesting that when you sin, the Holy Spirit leaves you. And then when you repent, the Holy Spirit comes back. Who then helps you to repent? That's what Hebrews refers to as dead walks. And that is why believers struggle to stay holy. Because they are trying to do it of their own accord. That's why it's not a New Year resolution that helps you. It's a Jesus revolution that helps you because you can resolve all you want yeah. who knows what I'm talking about yes, resolve all you want I will never sleep with that girl again yes. father if I tried kill me my hand is up am I the only one that is real enough to admit yes. you know how you, we, we like to pretend in church yeah, yeah? I have To pretend, father I make a covenant with you if I ever go back there again, kill me. And then you go back and then you tell God, no, I meant after this one. <laughs> again, my hand is up. Yeah. After, don't kill me. That, no, no, that's not it. This is why it's not included. But, yeah. This is practice. Practice. I didn't mean this one. I meant like now. I will never tell that lie again. I will never go there. Listen, everything a believer tries to do, he will fail. If you find yourself trying, don't bother, just stop. You are guaranteed to fail if you try because the Holy Spirit is not involved in the trying of a believer. If you are trying, you are not deploring the Holy Spirit. Because with the Holy Spirit, we don't try, we just do. It's not involved in trying. So, we understand then the difference between failing and falling. That means, therefore, that a believer in his walk with God at one point or the other will fail. Newsflash. That you failed at something in life does not equate that you fell from grace. That you are walking in grace does not mean you will not fail at something in life. That you messed up your job, that you messed up your relationship, is not an indicator that you are out of grace. That you are in grace does not mean you will not mess up. Therefore, a believer cannot measure his walk with God and his grasp of Christ by his failings. A believer, therefore, cannot measure his grasp of Christ, his sonship, by his failings. In other words, the failings of a believer do not jeopardize his sonship. If you have not failed a few times, you don't understand what we're talking about. Don't worry, you'll get there. Very soon. You'll get there very soon. God does not measure our sonship by our failings or by our success. So if God is not tripped by your success, he's not moved by your failure. If my debt, if my works of righteousness do not impress God. Do you understand what I'm saying? If your best behavior does not move God and it sums up to filthy rags before him, your mess up doesn't stink bad enough to turn him off. Try harder. It it doesn't stink that bad. Oh, I'm not saying that there are no earthly consequences. But don't confuse earthly consequences for your failures with the judgment of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, Yes, sir. Don't confuse the consequences for failure with judgment. Titus 3, I believe, says, Now the grace of God has appeared to all men not by works of righteousness which we have done, but of his own mercy and grace, he saved us. So if it's not a function of what we did, and all of that is called dead works, and it's not moved by it, and then you sin the sin, and God is so troubled that he's angry at you. He now banishes you. Nigerian films have hurt our Christianity. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. The majority of the error in the African Christianity is influenced by tradition. Yes, yes sir, yes, sir. yes, sir. yes sir. It's Influenced by tradition, and so if you can successfully de-traditionalize your mind, if you can successfully de-traditionalize your mind, and that's why I repeat that warning in Scripture, and be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind romans 12 2 ephesians 4 says be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may grasp grasp means to lay hold of that which is his good acceptable and perfect will so an unregenerate mind cannot grasp the will of god Do you understand? Yes. Try as hard as you want. A mind that is not regenerate, transformed, metamorphosed cannot grasp the will of God. Even if the will of God slaps you in the face. It can't grasp the will of God. And why is it important to renew our minds? So that you are not engaging with the gospel from different lenses. You can't engage with the gospel successfully from the lens of our people say. My people have a saying. I thought you were not a people. and now became a people. So what is the saying of our people? This is the saying of our people. Not proverbs from your village. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we must renew our minds. Aferontes eyes on the prize, the destruction of failings and failure. First John chapter 2, lovely, lovely portion of scripture. We have read it a few times, over and over. We have encountered it a number of times. Let's look at it again. First John chapter 2. We need verse 1. 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, these things are write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, so we have written to you that you may not sin, but someone will sin. And when that person sins, we have an advocate with the Father. That's one of the sweetest sentences in the whole scripture. That that, that sentence. We have an advocate with the Father. Who is that advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. My little children, I write to you so that you may not sin. But if you sin, if you fall into an act of wrong, remember, little children, that we have an advocate. So your sin nature is taken care of. You have been removed from that into another person, into another Being entirely that you never were before, hence being born again. But you will still do wrong things. And for the wrong things, your wrong nature was paid for once and for all. So Jesus is not interceding for your sinful nature. You no longer have the sinful nature. But you will sin. That you sinned does not mean you have a sinful nature. Does not make you a sinner. Because a sinner is one who has the nature of sin. Are you with me? You are not a sinner. I am not a sinner. Beat me for it. Call me hyper grace for it. Call me once saved, always saved for it. Call me deceptive for it. But it is disservice to the cross for a believer to call himself a sinner. Yeah. But he made him who knew no sin to not to sin. As an act. Because Jesus did not sin as an act. Do you understand? He did not do wrong. He knew no sin. And therefore became sin. That means that every embodiment of the nature of sin. Became personified in and on Jesus. Such that at the point that Jesus became sin, he did not need to sin to be sin. Do you understand? He he did not need to commit a wrong to be sin. Because that's what happened to us. We didn't commit any sin to become sinners. Adam committed a sin... That brought in the sinful nature, and every man was then born of that sinful nature. So before you had the chance to commit a sinful act, you already had a sinful nature, and on account of your sinful nature, sinful acts poured forth, as exacerbated by the law. The law just came like a match and lit up sin. <laughs> Are you following me? So Jesus comes and he takes all the nature of sin that you wear by default and he becomes it. And he, hallelujah, is righteous by default. And he takes his default righteousness and gives it to you so you become righteous by default. So just as you did not sin to become a sinner, you didn't need to become righteous to be righteous. The first Adam imputed the nature of sin. The last Adam imputed the nature of righteousness. The first Adam had to commit an act of sin to introduce the nature of sin. The last Adam just committed acts of righteousness to introduce the act, the lifestyle, the nature of righteousness. So by obeying God, he acted righteous. Do you understand? So that according to Romans 5, by his one obedience, his one act of righteousness, the nature of righteousness is transferred to all that believe. By one man's disobedience, whose? Adam's. One man's act of sin, a sinful nature emerges and perpetuates. One man's act of righteousness, a righteous nature, emerges and perpetuates. I didn't do anything. I'm not the first Adam. I didn't do anything to be... Why why, why am I born a sinner? I, I didn't do anything to be righteous. That's why you have a hard time believing I'm righteous. But because you're so dirty in your mind, you don't have a hard time believing I'm a sinner. but I didn't do anything to be sin. I just found myself doing acts of sin because I have a sinful nature. And then I am now born again. Please, come on. Why is it so difficult to understand? I was born a sinner. I am now had to be born again. And this time, this again that I've been born, I've been born righteous. I didn't have to do anything to be a sinner. I don't have to do anything to be righteous. All I needed to do was to be born twice. Born once a sinner. Born again righteous. But you see, when we say born again, we don't break it down into grammar. We just keep it a religious cliche. Born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means to um, give your life to Christ, you know, confess, you know, take an altar call, baptize, Believers Foundation class, you know, uh, all of that stuff. It means that you stop doing the things you used to do before. Long story. Long story. What should come to your mind is, what does it mean to be born? Mm -hmm. A father met a mother somewhere, I didn't choose who they were, they copulated, egg met egg, there was fertilization, I came, I didn't choose how I came, I didn't choose to what family I came, I didn't, if if you had a choice to choose the family you'd be born in, none of you in this, right right now, in this era, you will not be born in Nigeria, in Nigeria. Ah! (laughs) You will not. Even children whose parents are here are saying, they say, I will not be born. <laughs> no way. I will not be born. My father's died. For what? <laughs> Nobody will choose it. You didn't choose it. You just woke up and found yourself in Corseveria from Abbey. <laughs> when you'd have loved to be from Alabama. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. And then they informed you what your name was. you know not started learning to pronounce your name. Whoever they pointed to you was daddy. That's who you began to call daddy. But you just believed that the person they pointed is your dada. And you start to call them Dada. And the person that is, they say, is your mother, is your mother. And they start to call, you start to call her Mama. Even adopted children. That's your daddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Mommy, where am I from? You are Igbira. They ask you, you just know, I am Iqbira. You don't know what Igbira sounds like. You don't know where your village is. You just know that you are Igbira. Yes? Yes? And then you, as you grow, you start to grow into the profile that has been fashioned for you. You start to grow into being from Igbira. You start to grow into understanding that as broke as this man is, is your father. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> as local as this woman is, is your mother. And your father is your father, your mother is your mother. There's nothing you can do about it. You were born. You were now born again. A man and a woman came together. God and the Word, the Father and incorruptible seed, came together, created a new specimen, copulated, and you were born again. And they tell you, you are righteous. You start to doubt. But when you were born here. And they told you, your name is Wisdom. You didn't doubt. You believed earthly people. That told you, this is who you are. And your heavenly father on this side tells you, this is who you are. You say, no, I can't be this. It's not possible. Me, righteous. No, it's not possible. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And God is saying, I made you. I formed you. You are righteous. No, but you don't understand. I, I, I sinned yesterday. You are righteous. Wisdom. Your name is wisdom. Your name yes. that your mom gave you is wisdom. Is it every exam you have written that you failed? Yes. Is it every exam you have written that you passed? Yes. Why did you fail? I thought your name is wisdom. Yes. So for every time you failed... You should have been removing a letter from Wisdom until there's none left. (laughs) (laughs) And and it gets to a point where they they call your result and and they call your name Wisdom. 3 over 10. And they call Wisdom and you refuse to answer your name. To collect your result, but your position is not altered by your situation. So, you're righteous, it's your position. You messed up once, you are righteous. You messed up twice, you're righteous. You messed up three times, you're righteous. Man, you have a major issue. This is your own now, it's an addiction, it's a hopeless case you are righteous, it has nothing to do with you, if anybody cannot prove that you had something to do with your natural birth, they cannot disprove that you had nothing to do with your spiritual birth, they can't disprove it, they can't disprove it, to disprove this you are going to have to convince us, scientifically and otherwise, that I actively participated in being born as a human being. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That I decided when to come out. Okay. I, came it up, I came out and peeped and I saw I was in the canoe. I went back inside. It must be hospital, private ward, or else I'm not coming out. <laughs> Some of you were giving birth to on a motorcycle, <laughs> heading to the hospital. I know what I'm saying. Yes. Some, <laughs> Caleb just shared his autobiography with you with you in one sentence that's the wisdom of God right there autobiography in one, in one sentence if you had nothing to do with this you couldn't have anything to do with that That's what it means to be born again. And because you're born again, you don't have this nature of sin. But you will sin. Because you're on the earth. You're still in alien territory and every now and then, alien territory will encroach on your position. Does that make sense? Every now and then, alien territory will encroach on your position. And when that happens, John the Beloved says, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and his propitiation not for just us, but for, for the entire world. So God is not put off by your failing as long as the advocate is interceding. Eh, are you saying, are you saying anybody that starts with such a mischievous phrase is an unbeliever? He has a dirty mind. I know obliged, are you saying that we cannot do whatever we want? Such a person is an unregenerate mind. They are just getting the opportunity to release what is in their heart. Because sin needs no license. Oh, you are giving people license to sin. Because you, are, because you are born again. Before you were born again, who gave you license to sin? Answer the question. You are giving them license to sin. When you were an unbeliever, did you wait for license? How come it's now that you are a believer, you are saying we are giving you a license? You were sinning before you got a license. You never needed need license to sin. So grace cannot be licensed for you to sin. You were a sinner before the license, in quote. So only a mischievous religious mind will say, are you saying? Because such a person is not genuinely interested in the righteousness apart from works that comes by grace through faith. Yes, yes, yes. Listen, and I said this publicly, most people that are attacking the ministry of grace are the ones that use it the most. People that are attacking grace if you, are, if you know the amount of secret sins they live in. People that come out and say, "Hey, eh, you are sleeping around. You can't be a believer and sleep around. Go and check their history. We know some of it. Go and check them. They have no moral standing to talk morality. Are you now saying we can live any how we like? If that is what you heard, you need to wash your head with high soap. that that Bible word? High salt. You need to wash your head with high salt. Because there's no way a regenerate mind will be calculating how to sin. That does not mean he will not sin. But there's no way a son of God sits down and is skimming today. It's that one. Today I will sin. It's like, it's like I will lie today. It have that, that I lie. I think the where the weather is looking, today is a good day to lie. I think, yeah, I think so. I feel like doing something stupid and utterly foolish that will just offend God. I thought he said I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. Let me just, can I, how, how, how much can I vex God today? Let me, let me. There's no way, no way someone who became the righteousness of God will be calculating sin. It takes a sinful nature to calculate sin. So when you sin we must be careful to not treat you according to nature but according to the act of sin and not bring upon you a nature that you no longer have because you did wrong. Once you understand that and then you understand the concept of forgiveness yes. and you forgive you don't have to feel like it. You just know that the person that wronged you is no less who they are to you because they wronged you. And sometimes you don't want to feel, you want to to stab somebody. I'm serious. Sometimes you want to set somebody on fire. And, 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 And humanity will hear it and they will justify you that you did the right thing. I'm serious. There's somebody that you will kill, they will clap for you. I'm serious. I'm very serious. There's somebody I will kill, I will clap for myself. i being honest with you. And at that point, you understand, this person just did something wrong. But they are still who they are in spite of what wrong they did. And in spite of the consequence thereof. So a pastor tells you, you, you cannot be saved. You are beyond redemption. The pronouncement does not make it effective. Yes, sir. The pronouncement does not make it effective. You, righteous. (laughs) Come and see. You, one, two, three, four, five, six, dark minds that keep record of wrong. Because love doesn't keep record of wrong. The pronouncement doesn't make it effective. And if that's the case, then God is not threatened by your failing. In fact, there is a dimension of the grace of God that you will never come into until you are flat on your face. Yeah. There is a dimension of the grace of God that you will never come into until you are flat on your face, if you haven't been there before, you will get there shortly. Yeah. Well, because it's God that sets it up. Yeah. Yeah. You don't understand. It's God that sets it up, because nothing catches Him by surprise. So. Otherwise, He cannot claim yeah. to be omniscient. You yeah. should stop it. That's, a, that's an expensive joke. How can you come and say your name is omniscient? Sorry, omniscience. Omniscience. Mm, omniscience. I, 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 and I got into a quandary that you didn't know was going to happen. You're not God. You're not God. But He's God. And therefore, nothing takes Him by surprise. On the contrary, He ordains it or allows it. As the case may be. He ordains it or he permits it. You have Job's phone number. Call him. He'll explain to you what I just said. You you can go this much with him but don't go that much. So everything Satan did he did on divine instruction. Because Satan is on God's payroll. Satan has a boss. He's called the Lord of hosts. You now believe in angelic host, he's the Lord of hosts. You believe in the host that fights the battles of God, he's the Lord of hosts. You believe in demonic host, but you don't believe that he's the Lord of that host. Can I see how mischievous Christians can become? So if he's Lord of hosts, which host is he not Lord of? Uh. He is now. He's the boss of principalities and powers. That's why he can choose where to seat them and choose where to seat us above them. Which host is he not lord of? Therefore, which host can act autonomously? None. Anywhere you face, he's the boss. So, contrary to what you feel, Satan doesn't do as he likes. He can't dare. He has jurisdiction. He has jurisdiction. He doesn't do as he likes. So, God ordains some things and God allows some things. So, if you haven't gotten to the point where you are totally so messed up, Now you yourself do not believe you can come out of it. Keep, keep, keep running. There's a measure of grace that you have not accessed yet. It's a measure of grace you haven't accessed yet. And in most cases, such a righteousness that preempts or precludes a failing is self-righteousness. Is you feeling like, yeah, I got this. You know, I got this. I'm, I'm too big for this. I can't do this. Do you know how long I've been in the Lord? Do you know how much I love the Lord? Do you know how much I pray and fast? Do you know how much? It is mostly self-righteousness until you are flat on your face and cut pants down. And sometimes God lets you get there. Not so that he smashes you up like the world does, but that he can show you that he's gracious. Now because of the value system Moral value system we find ourselves in, a lot of times we beat ourselves up when we fall or when we fail. It's very difficult for you to forgive yourself. Meanwhile, God doesn't remember what you did wrong. He didn't see it. Jesus made sure of it. Jesus made sure of it. He's always there interceding. And trust me, if he only intercedes when you did wrong, he's not a good intercessor. He has to have been preempting your every wrong in his advocacy before the Father. In other words, every wrong that you are going to commit meets a prayer prayed, a price paid. As long as you cannot dislodge Jesus from the throne advocating for me, You cannot make me feel doubtful about my position in God. So when you fail, and you will, shortly. Remember that your failure doesn't change how he sees you. And therefore, shouldn't change how you see him. Your failure doesn't change how the Father sees you in Christ and therefore shouldn't change how you see Christ. Do you get this? Do you get this? It doesn't, it doesn't. It it doesn't change how God sees you in Christ. It doesn't change how you see Christ. On the contrary, at your point of failing, the light of Christ should be so bright that you appreciated much better than you ever would have had there not been a failing. You know when you fall to a point where you know you can't restore yourself. You lied. They didn't catch you. You just restored. They didn't catch you. You did this one. You got away with it. Did that one. You got away with it. And then the major one happens. You know the one that makes you open your own mouth and say, I don't finish. I am done. And at that point, scripture tells you, the son, your elder brother, that guards you so fiercely. I don't know if you ever, I I was mischievous as a kid. I've shared some of my stories with you. I was mischievous. I will go out and I will taunt. I had a sharp mouth. I will taunt people in the neighborhood in the estate we lived in, and I will. They would chase me. I was very little, and I will, I couldn't fight. And I will run even from girls. I will run into the into the house, yeah, because I didn't want to be scratched. I didn't like anything on my skin. Do whatever you want. Don't scratch my skin. You know I was such a spoiled baby, and and then. Some, a family moved opposite us, behind the shops, an Edo family, and there was a guy that was called Big Victor, and he was my friend. Yeah, I will never forget him. And when I say my friend, I mean my friend. He was a lorry mechanic apprentice. You know the 9-11 mechanic? He was black, he was from Edo State Igarra. A black guy, heavily muscled up, and he had the heart of a baby he come to our house. He, he just loved me. The small Victor, big Victor. He was an apprentice. He wasn't earning money. But he would share whatever money he got with me and my siblings. Cool guy. So I'll go out and look for trouble. And, and when I'm going out to buy something, I'm looking around to be sure that all the people I've pissed off are not anywhere close by. I'm just counting the hours until big Victor closes from work and comes home. Then I come out. Come and touch me. (laughs) At least from now till we go to bed, Big Victor is around. Come and touch me. I will taunt you. I will call your name. I will pull your ear if I I needed to. I'll do whatever because Big Victor just needs to blow and you're dead. And you're dead. And so I will walk, shoulders high, held, head held high, and held like a peacock in heat, walking, Because my elder brother is around. And I couldn't do wrong. Because no matter how wrong I did, my elder brother would not see my wrong and say, you are right. My brother would not skip me and say, you are the one that was right. And me was the one that was wrong. No, he's going to kill you first. And then inside the house, you say, but you know you two can look for trouble. It's not every time that I'm around. So you have to be careful because one day if they catch you and I'm not there, they will beat you. So stop doing all these things. He will never reprimand me in public. Ever. Ever. If you are, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more, Heavenly Father? Who now gave you an elder brother, uh. the real big brother? Uh. I messed up. I know, yes. but my big brother is not about to give me to you to punish for him. Yes, yeah. uh. He's not about to hand over my punishment to you. So I walked tall. I messed up, I know, but I am his mess. He'll fix it. I'm his mess. He'll clean it. And guess what? That is what he excels at doing. He's a master fixer. He's a turbo cleaner. He's not intimidated. You know how you walk into the kitchen, it looks like a bomb exploded in it. And you're like, my God, where am I going to start cleaning this thing? God never feels like that. Do not ever interpret the love of God based on your human inadequacy. The fact that something is difficult for you to do does not mean God has difficulties doing it the fact that you struggle to clean up your room when you wake up in the morning doesn't mean God struggles to clean up his room when he goes messy don't interpret God by your inadequacy the fact that you struggle to forgive and even though you are forgiven the thing is paining you and chopping you and you are still struggling with it does not mean that God struggles to forgive in fact God has amnesia when it comes to your, your wrongdoing as far as the east is from the west so has he removed your transgressions from you God does not remember wrong or else it cannot be called love now I will show you a more excellent way Daniel said 1 Corinthians 12 and then it goes into that love and guess what who 1 Corinthians 13 was talking about Christ and it says love keeps no record of wrong so the day God who is love starts to keep record of wrong he's no longer God he's no longer love Mm. which makes him a lie What's the difference between us and everybody else? In the book of Acts, let me end with this. Acts chapter 9, Barnabas, Paul had just gotten saved, if you know the backdrop of Acts 9. Paul, formerly being Saul, right? Of Tarsus, had just gotten saved. And because of his notorious precedent, the church refused to believe his salvation. And you couldn't blame them, really. <laughs> you couldn't. You couldn't blame them. Imagine what's his name, um, the Boko Haram leader, walks in, strapped with a bomb, and he's, he says, "Don't I, I didn't come to destroy you." <laughs> you will see Auntie Thelma would jump this balcony land inside their car downstairs (laughs) reverse the car facing straight and she would have gone with the car and she's admiring before she realized she didn't even start the car (laughs) Do you understand what I just painted? Gone! Kai smoking! Screeching! Burning red leather! They realized the, all of this, we didn't, she didn't even have the time, she left the keys here. <laughs> <laughs> you're not about at that point to call the things that be not as though they. <laughs> you're not. You're not. <laughs> you're, you're not them a with this, their love. I don't know how it would have played out. <laughs> and, and they would probably have already been downstairs and you go, honey, jump. <laughs> 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 don't worry, I'll catch you. I have to go ahead of you. I'll ca- catch you. <laughs> You now bring Saul of Tarsus into the church. And say, Blen and brethren, Saul is born again. Do you get the picture now? Saul! Whose one mission that he was convinced was the work of God. Was to go from city to city annihilating the church bring him into the temple and say, please welcome, receive brother. (laughs) (laughs) Filling the blank spaces. (laughs) (laughs) So Barnabas had to bring Saul to the church. Acts chapter 9. You following me? Yes, sir. If the Boko Haram leader walked in here strapped and escorting him was the late Nelson Mandela on one side, Thabo Mbeki on the other side, Bill Clinton behind them and they say, be not afraid. Chances are you won't freak out at least. Yeah? At least you won't freak out. So Barnabas accompanies saw (laughs) and introduces Saul to the church so on account of Barnabas testimony the church accepts Paul Paul being who he was knowing who he was grace shines through and Paul is the chief progenitor of the message of grace they do a journey they are about to do another journey and then remember in Acts 12 where after they fasted and prayed and ministered to the Lord, the Lord then Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate for me, Paul, and this same Barnabas, who introduced him to the church for the work I've called them. Before that, they had traveled together. So they, they are separated, they are prayed, and they are sent out. And after a short while, in Acts chapter 15, they got into a beef. What was the beef? Who was the beef? John Mark. Acts 12. Um, let's go to Acts 15 for time to finish this. Acts 15, where will I read from? 36. Acts 15, 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. This would have been their second missionary journey. Now Barnabas was determined as a senior brother of Paul in the church. To take with them John called Mark, who was his nephew. Okay. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one, John Mark, who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the walk. So basically, John Mark went a wall on them. He abandoned them on the journey. And that was causing Paul to really, really smart. Yeah. And so he's the 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Let me read in the message. Tempers fled and they ended up going their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and offered up by their friends the grace of the master, went to Syria and Sicilia to build up muscle and sinews in those congregations. Let me see good old... NLT before we continue with that text. Very interesting story, right? Acts 15. No fall asleep now. We're almost done. Are you here? Yeah. Are you here? Yeah. Okay, I'm waiting for the NLT to load very quickly. Um, here we go. So NLT says, um, but Paul disagreed strongly. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Go your way. I go my way. Now you see that Barnabas takes Paul, um, John Mark, and sails off. Paul continues with Silas, but it was Paul and Silas at his word that had the blessing of the church. Yes. You noticed? Yeah. So, that's um, my 15 now. So, Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. That could suggest, if you're a good student of scripture, that... Um, the, the tables were tipped in favor of Paul. Yeah. That suggests that the church probably understood that he had a right to be as upset as he was because they probably could see the far effect of John Mark having abandoned them. That's why Paul go, um, Barnabas goes off with John Mark, Paul chooses Silas, and the church commends and sends off Paul and Silas. So it was Paul, as it were, that got the blessing of the church to continue the journey. Can you see that? I mean, unfortunately, we don't hear Barnabas anymore, as from a narrative point of view, but Barnabas continues off to do ministry. Paul continues off to do ministry. And they both had beef. And God was not moved. Mm. Paul, you should sit down, take time out, be suspended from church, mm. think about your life, mm. put your ministry in order, mm-hmm. fix your walk with God because you have missed it, my brother. Yeah. Yeah. You're angry, you want to fight Barnabas, who introduced you yeah. Yeah. to yeah. us yeah. your spiritual father, mm-hmm. yeah. your covering. Your mentor. The person on whose shoulders you leaned on to get to this place in, in ministry. The person that extended to you the right hand of fellowship. Paul, you are full of pride. It's not because of Barnabas who accepted you. No, take time out. Barnabas, you too, you're supposed to be a spiritual father. You're supposed to be mentor. What kind of example are you showing? You will now make John Mark become incorrigible. Yeah. John Mark will now act like nobody can correct him. Nobody can tell him what to do. Because instead of reprimanding him and making suspending him for abandoning you guys when you're into Pamphylia, you are fighting Saul, a bona fide, qualified apostle. Because of John Mark, who went AWOL. Are you not supposed to show a better example? Barnabas. Barnabas goes his way. Paul goes his way. And both were blazing trails for ministry. The beef didn't shut down the grace. This is hard meat for some people. But I will teach it. The beef didn't shut down the grace. That is why, especially for those in ministry... It is very dangerous for you to assume that a man of God is not called because you saw his mess. I'm not saying there are no charlatans. There are plenty. Hello, there are plenty. But that somebody stole church money doesn't make him fake. Fake or real are judged based on faithfulness to doctrine. Yes, sir. A false prophet and a real prophet are judged based on faithfulness to doctrine. Oh, must a servant of God be moral, well-behaved? Yes, as every believer. Yes. 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 As every believer. Oh, they are held to higher standards. By who? The only higher standard a, a man of God is held to is the standard of teaching the doctrine of God. That's what James says. Because those of you who teach will be judged more severely. Yeah. Again, what does it boil down to? Doctrine. Paul goes his way and doing ministry. Barnabas goes his way and is doing ministry. Here's what happens in 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 1 to 6. Paul is speaking, right? Way later to the Corinthian church. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take on a believing wife? As do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, that's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I? We have a beef, we're doing ministry and a few months or years down the road, Paul is speaking on behalf of Barnabas. So that beef was not the end of the road. So God would have been unfair... (laughs) To judge Paul and Barnabas based on a beef that he knew was temporary. Yeah. God being the one that straddles eternity. Could see that this beef ain't got nothing on the grace upon these two men. Yeah. So I continue to use them right here and now regardless of their stupidity. Yeah. Because I see the beginning of their nonsensity, their idiocracy. And I see the end thereof. I am Alpha Omega. Yes, sir. Yeah. So you're acting up and you're being all stupid, right? You're, you're beefing, tempers are flaring. Go. It's my work. Barnabas, you too. Go. It's my work. I, I know how to, because I hold it together, I know how to bring it together. Colossians 4. Colossians 4. Paul is writing to the Colossian church. Colossians chapter 4. This will interest you. Colossians 4. Paul, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Uh-uh. Open bracket. About whom you received instructions previously. If he comes to you, do what to him? Well, I, I open your Bible now. You are in modern life. Don't look at me funny. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Open your Bible. Punch it. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with who? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. About whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, do what? Welcome him. 11. And Jesus, who is called Justice. So you see that Jesus is somebody's name too. See what he says. Next line. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. You have left Paul's church because he fell into an issue over Mark. You have left Barnabas church and said he's a bad man of God. He's a fake man of God because he had a beef with Paul that he didn't fix on account of John Mark. You're running around peddling false news and Paul has sent the church to receive the same John Mark because he's a fellow for him in ministry. Are you getting this at all? So their feelings had nothing on God. Their feelings had nothing on the grace of God. Their feelings had nothing on the gift of God. Paul is commending Barnabas. Paul has told the Colossian church what did I tell you before about Mark that when he comes you should do what welcome him because him and justice are the two guys that are credible to me first 2nd Timothy chapter 2 it will mess you up even more 2nd Timothy chapter 2 and that's my, probably my final scripture 2nd Timothy chapter 4 I beg your pardon 2nd Timothy chapter 4 are we there let me go from verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Paul is telling Timothy, right? For Demas has forsaken me. See, another one that has manifested. Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Christians for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia. See, 11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. For I need him. Get Mark and bring him with you. The Greek um, transliteration means don't show up without him. Because Mark is useful to me for ministry. So careful who you write off. Listen, somebody took your virginity without your permission. So as far as you're concerned, God cannot use that person until you allow God to use the person. Grow up. Pastor still took your money. And didn't pay back. So as far as you're concerned, every time the pastor stands behind the pulpit to preach, the pastor is a fraud. Grow up. You fought with uh, your brother and they called you names and they insulted you and there's no way that person can be a worship leader. Grow up. You are not the regulator of grace. Now if all you are hearing is therefore I can take a girl's virginity and there's no place in scripture we have seen that suggests that. What will happen to you here? And it will not be God punishing you. Go on. So if all you are hearing is that you can do what you like, you need to be regenerated in your mind. But scripture is clear. that Your mess ain't got nothing on grace. So it shouldn't affect how you see Christ because it doesn't affect how Christ sees you. This goes for parents as well. Don't change how you see your children because they messed up. Because you as a son of God, God doesn't change how he sees you because you messed up. And if we as your children knew your amount of mess up, you will keep your mouth shut. When I was your age, I passed every test. I passed every exam. I passed. Should we go and go to your primary school and bring out your results and see? (laughs) Your mess ain't got nothing on grace. And the more you see that God is God in spite of your mess, the more strengthened you are and the less your mess up becomes. If you take your eyes off him, you will sink. You have Peter's number. Call him. Took his eyes off Christ and sank. Like lead. But if you keep your eyes on him, stayed on him, stayed on him. Stayed on him, stayed on him. You are grappling with stuff, but you're stayed on him. You are grappling with sin, but you're stayed on him. You're grappling with addiction and you're stayed on him. You're grappling with masturbation, you're staying on him, you're grappling with pilfering, you're stayed on him, you're, you are stayed on him, and after a while, nobody's having to preach to you, nobody's having to modify you, nobody's having to manipulate you, nobody's having to compel you. You are just starting to straighten up and go in the light of what you are seeing because you keep your eyes on the prize and nothing stays you off of it. You're looking onto him so intently that even when you're grappling with stuff, he's all that you see. That's what you ought to hear. That's what you ought to know. Your eyes are so fixed on Christ, and you are, you are, you are looking at him and you are messing up it's okay. You are struggling with tobacco, and you are you're smoking a cigarette, and you are praying in tongues. It's okay. There's nothing else you should be doing at that time but praying yeah. in tongues. Yeah. You are struggling with masturbation, and, and, you, and you, just, you just had an orgasm, and you're like, oh, Lord, I feel so dirty. My iso crapata, but I thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and as I continue to behold you, a day is coming, and now it is, where masturbation will have nothing on me. Yeah. That's when you're growing into Christ, don't stop seeing. Don't stop seeing. Tell a neighbor, don't stop, seeing. don't stop seeing. Don't stop seeing. You're struggling with it now, doesn't mean you are it. Yeah. Don't stop seeing. No other message will change you. 19 ways to break addiction has not helped you. You know. Therapy hasn't done anything for you. You know. Some of you have gone for over 20 deliverance sessions. Nothing has changed. Fasting and prayer hasn't changed it. Nothing can fix a sight problem like seeing. Only seeing, sir, can fix a problem of not seeing. Just seeing. Seeing. Just see him. You might want to bow your heads. I think I'm done. You might want to just speak to the Lord or however you want to do it. But just see him. Just see him. Lord, in spite of me, I see you. If that's all you're going to say from your heart a minute is enough, say, Lord, in spite of me, I see you. In spite of my inadequacies, I see you. In spite of my weakness, open your mouth and speak. You can't keep your mouth shut in this atmosphere. That's all you need to say. Say it! In spite of my struggle, I see you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at or visit our social media platforms.